Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. On this episode, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, myself, are going to break down Florida's epic collapse. Senior day against Kentucky. Obviously, the Gators up 18 uh, with about 11 minutes and change to go. Lose by a point. Andrew Nimhart buzzer beater rims out. And, um, you know, obviously just a stunning, stunning defeat. But maybe not as stunning when you consider how this team does this kind of stuff all the time, whether it's come back from 20 down and win or blow a 16-point lead against Mississippi State. You just never know which version of the Gators you're going to get. And it's probably why their stay in March won't last very long. Eric and I are going to dive into that. We'll talk expectations for the SC tournament in Nashville, particularly if Kerry Blackshear can't play. Uh, why the Ole Miss matchup in particular would be pretty problematic for the Gators and what that would mean seed line wise. Um, so we hope you enjoyed the show. Please stop by uh, iTunes if you haven't or Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Hit us up with a heart. Hit us up with a rating. Those things really matter. They matter with our placement um, in terms of you know where we get placed and you know, so we can get sponsorships. Anchor has been a really good sponsor for us, and we appreciate them. Um, and we certainly appreciate all of you. Uh, you know, this is it's it's astounding the amount of interaction we get, and uh, we appreciate it. So, thanks to everybody, Dave Gators Breakdown for all your support. All those people. It's been a fun season, um, at least for us. Even if it's been a challenging season, given what it was supposed to be. Um, I've talked long enough. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. I am with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, uh, for 38 minutes, it was a glorious senior day. And uh, then it wasn't. Yeah, I was uh, I was actually going to ask you. I mean, I think the 38-minute uh, remark is pretty interesting because I, I actually was going to ask you, Neil, at what point did you really start to sweat, I guess? Or, like, at what point did you uh, really feel like um, I, like the game was slipping away from Florida? Because, I mean, they've had these, uh, they've had these losses um, or uh, at least some of these, these leads blown this year and a couple of them that resulted in losses. And, uh, you know, there's times where it's like uh, the leads cut from – 15 to nine and there's people that are just like yeah yeah like florida's lead is done or you know sometimes <laughs> it just feels like even when it goes down from from 20 to, to six or seven you still kind of feel like like florida is going to be able to to hold on um so I, i'm going to ask you neil at, at what point did you really feel like things were were uh, slipping out of florida's hands though maybe you just answered it with uh with the 38 mark well, but, but i'm curious if there was like yeah i'm curious if there's like a point that they got to or a particular play that you can think of where it was like, yeah, this is uh, this is not Florida's game. That's a great question, and um, and I think I think for me, Eric, it's probably two moments. Okay, so I may have tweeted one of them, kind of giving it away, but when they cut it to five on a Keon Brooks jumper with about four and a half minutes ago, and Florida called a timeout. Um, so I should have said 36 minutes because it was 66, 61 at that point, And I thought, Oh boy, Florida's in trouble. Um, and to be fair, Florida got it back to five on a beautiful little dish from Keontae to Omar Payne. And you know, that was what three thirty. but 
but Florida could never, when Florida made a shot, they couldn't get a stop um, at all. I'm sure we're going to get into that, but, but so that was, that was a part of it that I thought, yeah. So I'll say, I would say the Keon Brooks moment would be one. And then I'm trying to think of, of exactly when it was, and you may know what I'm going with here. Ah, yes. Okay. So that's, and then that was, that was at 30 after 37 minutes. Sorry for our listeners as I was trying to sort this out in my head, but, but after the Omar Payne layup, Kentucky comes back down and scores Florida appeared to have a stop. Nick Richards went over the back, got a tip, uh, no over the back call, but then Florida ran a beautiful set, got Noah locked that wide open triple. And when lock missed, I thought, Florida's doomed. Yeah, I do think that was the point for a lot of people. I, I mean, especially, uh, I mean, your second point kind of comes uh, a little bit like your first point uh, with uh, with Keon Brooks hitting that uh, that three because Keon Brooks is a is a horrible shooter. And <laughs> right. Noah Locke's a great shooter. So when 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 Keon Brooks hit that three, like it's a backbreaker. Like when a twenty seven percent three point shooter hits a shot like that, like it's a it's a backbreaker. And when uh, Noah Locke's open and misses. I, I, I mean, that definitely uh, lets a lot of air out of the balloon. Like that yeah. was really, uh, I really felt that way. And I actually don't know. Uh, I'm not actually sure exactly when, uh, uh, when the, mo- when the, I guess like when the last of these plays were, and I, I think we might get into this at, at more length, but I mean, uh, the moment I felt the most, maybe helpless was when uh, uh, was when, and it's something that, you know, Scotty Lewis alluded to in the, the post game was when uh, Kentucky kept running the same cross screen flex cut play uh, to let Nick Richards grab the ball deep, deep, deep into the, uh, in the paint under the hoop and just drop in uh, hook shots. Uh, whatever the, whatever the last of those were, I, I would say that was the most helpless I felt just because uh, it was just over and over and over again. And I didn't see Florida making the adjustments and, uh, I, I think when you see a team unable to make adjustments to something like that, uh, that's when you kind of, that's when it kind of seems like they're the, like they're toast. So um, I don't have an exact score. I should have looked at it like you. I didn't really prepare for my question. I just was going to ask. No, it's good. And I, you know, uh, but I would say that was one of my, uh, uh, the moments of kind of just like feeling like it was, it, it was slipping away and I didn't know if Florida was going to hold on and, uh, but I would say, like, you know, nothing against Noah Locke. It's, uh, but just, you know, it was the moment where uh, where his three missed that I think that most people just felt like that sick, you know, pit in their stomach. Yeah, no, I thought that the and, – and the Locke three not even being close I thought was super, was super devastating. Mm. Like, you know, like it doesn't even go in and out. Like it was one of his worst wide-open shots of the year. And um, – you know what was interesting, and I, I wanted to ask you about this because it's something that White got on himself about after the game. You know, because oh, well, let me say, I thought, I thought it was interesting that that some people felt like White was throwing players under the bus after the game because I didn't feel like that at all. I thought, and this isn't to defend White because we're going to get into the things I think he did wrong, but but I did not feel post game it was like oh, it's on them, there's a lack of effort or anything like that. Like to me, Eric, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, sounded like he was pretty self-critical, including questioning his rotations and, and noting that you know his team was tired down the stretch. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, the one thing about White is just, like, if, if people are going to cherry-pick, like, one thing he says, there's always going to be um, uh, stuff to make it sound like he's blaming the players, because I do think he blamed the players at times, but he also yeah. blamed himself at times. Sure. So, I mean, it's just, like, be, and that's in the, I, I think you were the first person to, like, really point out, and it's just so true, is that, like, Mike White is just, like, you know, I don't watch as, obviously, I don't watch other coaches as much as I watch White's press conferences, but I just think that like white honesty most might be the most honest coach in America. Like he just, uh, the way that he, uh, wears his emotions on his sleeve and, and, and the way he, uh, and the way he assigns blame. So, I mean, if he feels the players are at fault, he, he says it, but he feels like he's at fault lots and, and he says it. So, uh, I, I do think he, you know, blamed the players, but he blamed himself too. So when I say he blamed the players, it wasn't like he, uh, is putting all the blame on them. I just, uh, yeah, there was an element where he blamed the players and, and, and blamed him as well. So I, I know some people took, uh, you know, took one quote from it and said, like, hey, there he is blaming the players again. And that's just how it looked in the one sentence. But I mean, you watch the whole nine minutes. It, it certainly wasn't like he thought it was the uh, just the players. He uh, he wasn't particularly, uh, you know, enthused about some of the stuff he did as well. And, and to be honest, I feel like that's uh, probably fair in most games. I think that it's, it's usually not always the player's fault and it's usually not always the coach's fault. It's usually a blend of the two. Yeah, no, I mean, I, that's kind of, it's kind of what I thought. The other question I had for you, you know, preparing for this before we get into coach's corner on, on some of this stuff um, is, you know, the other narrative I wanted to at least unpack a little bit was this idea that, um, it was bad that, well, Florida, they didn't even have Ashton Higgins. And to me, I think if you're going to make that argument, you at least need to say, um, that is Florida's re Florida was the reason that quickly fouled out. So, you know, you can't really make that argument to me. And then, um, I do think Florida wins this game. If, if Blackshear doesn't get hurt now, you know, I think that because just rebounding statistics tell me that. <laughs> but uh, I was kind of interested on, in your thoughts on Blackshear's impact on the, you know, the absence of him and that its impact on the game. Because that's an important thing to think about as we head towards Nashville. Right. I, I mean, if, it, this is actually really interesting. If, uh, if you want to talk like on off numbers, uh, something that's really interesting is that on the season – Kentucky is better offensively with Ashton Haggins off the floor. They're also better defensively with Haggins off the floor, which is very shocking. Um, like, I think Ashton Haggins is a good player. Don't get me wrong. But looking at the on-off data, uh, if you look at Kerry Blackshear, uh, the, the Gators are, you know, they really hurt with him off the floor. Uh, it's, his impact is definitely shown in the on-off numbers. But with, uh, with Kentucky, it's like... Uh, Ashton Haggins doesn't actually have a lot of those kind of advanced numbers that show that he makes a huge impact. Uh, I mean, you watch him play. I definitely think he's a great player. I think he has a great impact. Um, I think he had a huge impact in, in Florida's first, uh, uh, first matchup. And uh, when he, you know, really took Andrew Nemhard out of the game, I thought. And uh, so, I, yeah, but I do, I do think it's worth noting that probably Kerry Blackshear's, you know, worth more to the Gators than Haggins is to, uh, to the Wildcats. And yeah, uh, yeah, I would say that uh, uh, you look yeah. down the stretch where, uh, you know, they're, like Florida has had these leads blown where they couldn't score, and that was the problem. They also have had ones where they couldn't get a stop, and that's been the problem. Uh, right. Against Kentucky, it was a little bit of both. So uh, I see that 
you know, maybe Kerry Blackshear doesn't uh, come in and, and totally change things defensively. Uh, but I feel like he would have made a player too offensively that could have gotten the Gators out of that rut. So, uh, or like you mentioned, grabbing a grabbing a key rebound that uh, that they couldn't get uh, something like that. I, I've got to say, like, hey, you know, one possession game, having Blackshear in there versus uh, versus out, uh, I'd have to think that if he played this uh, this outcome would be different. Yeah, no, I mean, I think Florida wins by five to ten points. You know, I and and I just think that because you know the main thing that happened, um, really, was that. Kentucky had 19 offensive rebounds, most of which came in the second half, right? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, it's not like – it's just – sorry, 14 offensive rebounds, 11 of those coming in the second half um, with Kerry Blackshear off the floor. So, I mean, I just feel like if you get 11 offensive rebounds down in the last 15 minutes of the game, you're going to make buckets and – you know, they were able to do that. Now, I also saw tweets by you that I thought were well taken that got into the other thing that happened, which is where Mike White comes in, which was, you know, uh, sticking with the zone defense. And I think at least before I ask you the question about that, we at least need to recognize that some of Florida's progress defensively had been in that zone. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I still don't love the zone as, as much as a lot of people do. Like I, I know against Georgia, it worked twice, but, uh, just like watching it happen, I, I still feel like Florida was giving up open shots and I still feel like it wasn't actually a, a great defense, though the results were good. Like uh, against Georgia, they kind of, uh, obviously they, they generated a lot of turnovers just based in, you know, you play a zone like that, there's going to be some confusion from the offense. But I think if you look at the shot quality, I just don't actually think Florida's zone defense has been that good at, at any point this season. Uh, the numbers show that it's been worse than the man defense, but not like terribly worse, just like definitely a step worse. But uh, yeah, I just, I, I've never thought it looked great, even though it, it, it has had some, some success. Uh, and against Kentucky, where Kentucky's shooting over the top of it and getting, uh, hitting a high percentage of their threes uh, because of, uh, Florida having, you know, two players down low like that, and the communication wasn't there when Kentucky was setting those cross screens, and that meant Nick Richards was catching it really deep. Uh, it just didn't seem to be working on any level. And and then you have, when a shot goes up uh, in his zone, you don't have those uh, assigned box outs, so uh, you're, you're going to lose some people when it comes to rebounding. I, I just feel like it was not really successful on any level, and I also just feel like, it would be one thing if Florida had had great success with it this season. And I guess, Hey, maybe some people would say they, that they, that it did, especially, you know, in those games against Georgia. Uh, but yeah, I just, them sticking to it, going back to it. It just, it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. And uh, uh, whether it be, it's just like, if, if you were to tell someone who just like doesn't watch college basketball, some coach from Europe coming in and seeing that game and saying like, Hey, why did they go to the zone? Have they been good with it all, all year? Well, no, they haven't. Well, they've been good with this game. Uh, no, it, it hasn't been good. Like I just, <laughs> I'm really just not sure why, uh, why they would keep going to the zone. Well, I thought, I thought certainly when they went to it after Kentucky cut the lead to 12, it was probably to extend their perimeter defense. Which, all right, first of all, Kentucky is one of the worst three point shooting teams in the SEC, so. You know, I know that they made a couple shots, but you kind of have to just take your chances there. To me, 
And then second of all, when Kentucky cuts it to five and they call timeout, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, no, that's what it was. So the first timeout comes at 9.24 remaining. The second comes at 4.30 remaining. So Mike White's trying to stop the run, but to me it was just odd not to get out of the zone and go to man after the second timeout when essentially what was happening, excuse me, um, was – that Kentucky was pounding the post with Nick Richards. Like it just seemed to me like the obvious solution then was to double or, or at least switch to man defense and help a lot on Richards and force Kentucky away from the basket. If you could. Yeah, that would make more sense to me. Uh, something that I think is really interesting is uh, for most teams uh, when they play zone, it's to protect the hoop. Uh, Florida's a lot of their zones have either been the one, three, one or the, uh, the three, two, which really extends it. Uh, so something that's really interesting is that Florida is giving up 50% at, near the rim when they play man defense and they're giving up 56% against zone defense. Oh. So they're, they're giving up. So the concept of like, uh, again, you know, Kentucky wants to play uh, really, you know, they want to play inside out. They want to pound the ball inside. Uh, most of Calipari's coaching is uh, related to the words toughness that he screams over and over and over and over again from the sidelines. <laughs> like, they just, you know, they want to get it inside. Uh, Florida's best defense to protect the hoop has been man defense. Uh, that's just another number that I had that I wanted to, that, that kind of points to just why I think it would have been better to, to stay in man. Uh, and it's, it's also interesting. Like it wasn't like Kentucky was, was picking rolling Florida to death. Like it wasn't like uh, Florida's man defense was, had struggled. I, actually, one thing I, I didn't tweet out as, as well, which I probably should have, uh, should have, it would have been interesting, but uh, the first time that Florida went to, uh, went to the zone defense, uh, they had allowed 21 points on 25 possessions in man. So their man defense was working really well under a point per, per possession. It was, it was going good in man. So even the, the initial switch I thought, which I know like sometimes it's nice, like, you know, a team just starts to figure out your one style of defense whatsoever. You, you make a switch and try to throw them off that way. Maybe there was an element to that, but uh yeah, it was like there wasn't really a problem with the man. Uh, they went to zone. There were problems there. Then they kind of stuck with the zone. They went back to man, but then they went back to the zone. It was just, uh, yeah, it was an interesting one. I, I it would have been interesting if someone, uh, somewhere were about, were to have asked that question in the post game. I would have been really interested by the the thought process because there there really must have been something there because uh, yeah, he kept going back to it. So yeah, that was. Uh, but it, it, when it didn't really work, uh, when the numbers against man versus zone are so. Uh, so different. Uh, it's definitely worth talking about. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just it's just fascinating to me that 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 was the decision to I guess the decision to go to it didn't bother me as much as the decision to stick to it. When you know, obviously, Kentucky ends up scoring on twelve of their last fourteen possessions, so that's a good way to lose to anybody, uh, let alone a team that's been playing as well as Kentucky has for the last month. And, and uh, you know, that's that's how the margin fear gets to where, like, a Noah Locke open three becomes a backbreaker because, you know, like Mike White said in the post game, you can't really survive scoring droughts when you're getting stops. It was just interesting to me that, like, Scotty Lewis after the game says, well, we knew what set they were running to, Lu- to, to Richards, and we just didn't execute to stop it. And I was kind of confused as to what he was talking about. It didn't seem like they were really in the proper defense to defend that. Yeah, that was a shocking statement. Just because, once <laughs> again, if you knew that that Kentucky was looking to uh, run those flex cuts, those cross cross screens in the paint, 
uh, and the three, two is the best way to defend that. Like, I, I just don't think right. that is the case. And yeah. uh, maybe there was some kind of thought that like, Hey, when you have two, uh, your two bigs in the back uh, to start the defense, maybe they're thinking, Hey, it's a little bit more of a, uh, a, a natural switch because, uh, you know, one player's already on one side of the floor. So they set that cross screen to just make a switch. But the thing was like, they don't screen a spot, they screen a player. So it didn't matter that Florida was in that position to, uh, I guess, hypothetically switch it because yeah, Kentucky's uh, headhunting those guys, getting a body, big screen, uh, dump it in close. And yeah, it just, they were getting whatever they wanted. So uh, it was very interesting to hear Scotty Lewis say, hey, this was the play that was coming every time, which, uh, which Kentucky like seriously ran it like eight straight times. So if they didn't know before the game, which I'm sure they did, because uh, Kentucky runs it all the time, I'm sure they knew it part way through or early in that. Uh, so to hear them say that, but to just like have the have the three two zone is one of the plans to stop that. That's just a little bit surprising to me. And maybe there was just like a huge lack of execution by the players uh, potentially because I just yeah I just really don't think that was the best way to defend it. Yeah, I mean, it just seems strange to me, and it's something that that I, you know, I talked about uh, in a piece I wrote at Saturday Down South, which was just that, you know, I feel like it's not just consistency from this team from game to game. It's consistency, you know, we don't know what we're going to get from half to half. And, I, you know, I tried to make the point, didn't articulate it that well, but I, I try to make the point that, like, that seems to include the staff too, right? Like there are times where I think they make really, really smart adjustments. I thought the decision, for example, to play, to get into the gaps very early into the Auburn game and, and just stick with that was brilliant, right? It results in, in, a, in a blowout. They make that adjustment midway through the first half of the LSU game in Gainesville, Eric. Was that, is that about right? Yeah, sounds right. To do, to do the same thing, it works really well. That's not a type of defense that they play as a program very often. So, you know, I think there's a high level of defensive acumen on the coaching staff, which I'm sorry for the, for the background noise. I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I just didn't understand, you know, this adjustment, and I certainly didn't understand sticking with it as the game was kind of slipping away. Yeah, that was uh, that'd be definitely my biggest gripe. That was something that it, kind of in the uh, you know watching it live really stuck out to me. Uh, but I would I've got to say uh, something that really stuck out to me watching it for a second time was uh, uh, was definitely the offense because that was something that like uh, wasn't great either for sure. Like uh, I really do think it was their you know inability to get stops and defensive rebounds that 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 hurt them and was ultimately the biggest factor uh but their offense wasn't uh wasn't really right. much better uh much better either what did uh what did you have to think about uh what florida's doing there at the second half of the the second half well i mean look uh what was it 71 to 70 is that right yes yeah so it's 60 to 43 florida with 10 and a half minutes to go so florida <laughs> scored 10 points in the last 10 minutes I mean, you know i think that kind of gets lost in the like in order to have a collapse where you blow an 18 point lead in 11:38, even when you're playing Kentucky, right? A top, what are they? Top five team, top six team. Um, you know, it has to be a, a wholesale failure on both sides of the basketball. I kind of thought that's what that's what this was. Like, there weren't even like 
it wasn't like some of these games that Florida's had where I thought they were oh, scoring drought, Chris sets, missed shots, right? Like Butler was one you and I talked about at length and probably got tomatoes thrown at us, right? Where we were like, well, actually, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like, and, and uh, I think there was another game like that this year, but this is, this was just not that like other than the lock triple, um, I thought Keontae Johnson had a really nice drive where he got fouled. They didn't call anything, and Kentucky got a stop that way. Um, what did I mention? I, I know I mentioned Omar Payne missed a putback that he shouldn't miss. Scotty Lewis missed a layup. But, like, other than those, when you can name them all, that's usually a sign that uh, <laughs> that they weren't running great stuff because you remember the good looks. Right, and I mean, uh, just on Ken Palm, where you can see just based on uh, on the quarters where uh, what the score was. Uh, in the yeah. last ten minutes of the game, it was twenty six to ten for Kentucky. So I mean, uh, twenty six points given up in ten minutes. You you know, you, they were if it was a, you know on that pace for forty minutes, Florida's given up over a hundred, and of course they only scored ten points. So uh, yeah, definitely uh, uh, not great on either side of the ball. And you know, one thing that still still kind of shocked me uh, again, looking back at. Uh, uh, when I, I definitely, like I was saying, noticing the offense more kind of my second watch. Uh, but again, there was just times where it was like, uh, Florida really, you know, it, it gives up a couple buckets in a row. And then offensively, it's a ball screen for Scotty Lewis, someone who hasn't been in Braden ball screens all year. Uh, or yeah. it has, uh, you know, is dumping it into, uh, into Omar Payne and, uh, kind of playing off him where it's, you know, he just isn't a, isn't a threat to, to score with the ball in his hands and Kentucky's playing him as such. And then the offense kind of stagnates. So there's just like still some moments like that where I was like, well, if, you, if you're going to get the ball to Omar Payne in the post and, and you're going to run ball screens for Scotty Lewis and run ball screens for Noah Locke, uh, I, I just can't be shocked when you don't score. Uh, the sample, right. like we're 30 games deep. There's a whole lot of numbers, a whole lot of play call data, a whole lot of individual player data that just says what's effective and what's not. And, uh, there was just times where Florida needed a bucket and it was, you know, ball screen for Scotty. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude and say that that's, it's, it's just when you see, like, again, there's a good sample size that shows that that's a 0.6 point per possession play. Uh, well, uh, that's, I just can't be shocked when it doesn't work. So uh, just little <laughs> things like that, where I'm not saying that's like the exclusive problem of why, uh, why things kind of failed. But uh, again, when you just have a few of those things and a few of those things there and, uh, they they add up and it adds up to you know like like you mentioned uh, you need a lot of things to go wrong to to blow that lead and uh, yeah it's just uh, I I feel I know we can look at a lot of things but uh, yeah just like the play call Florida was going to uh, that was one of them yeah right like I mean these are I don't know it's just that this kind of stuff happening consistently is is certainly frustrating because it, it seems like you know like I said today that the, all that's all that's really consistent is inconsistency and it. Um, they're, they're out of time now to, to fix it because, you know, the postseason starts Thursday, regrettably. And, and that's kind of where I don't want to transition to SEC tournament quite yet. I wanted to talk about, you know, kind of the impact of this game from your point of view. And I saw some of the things you wrote immediately after it at Gator Country. But now we really know, because as the rest of the day played out, we got this idea of what this all meant. And what it meant was Florida went from, an 18 point lead and cruise into the two seed playing Friday night to playing Thursday afternoon, Eric leaving a whole day earlier than they would have. Um, 
extra travel, uh, an extra game, depending on if they make a run. Uh, and probably I, you know, I think a seed line, don't you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, at the time I wouldn't say seed line, but, uh, there's been some conference tournaments, tournament games since. And, uh, uh, there's been a couple bid stealers, and for that reason, I, I, I think it might be a seed line. I mean, uh, I don't try to play bracketologist too too much, but uh, uh, yeah, and again, it's not like losing to Kentucky even on your home floor is a bad loss or something that's going to tank you. But uh, Florida is just a resume that just really needed something like that, like a, a win like that to to boost it. And uh, yeah, it was kind of one to thought where it's like, hey, you know, you win that one, you win a game or two in the SEC tournament, and like maybe you're a seven seed where. Uh, right. After that, I mean, it's uh, again, I'm not going to try to play bracketologist too much. So I just look at bracket matrix, just like a composite of like 100 and some people's brackets. And uh, that's looking that's making Florida look like a nine seed. Uh, a lot more people now have them as a 10. And I mean, yeah, you, you think, you know, they do at most places have them as a nine. So, I mean, you look at, uh, you know, is a win against Georgia going to move the needle or. Uh, if they win their first game, is that going to move the needle to get even get them from nine to an eight? I mean, maybe, but that's that's not huge. So I think you you know if you want to move up, you got to win another game. Uh, but hey, is if you're already a ten, is that just going to get you from ten to the highest nine or to a, to an eight? I mean, yeah, it's just uh, Florida's opportunity to get uh, to get out of that eight nine game. Uh, if they're not going to play in that game, it's probably going to be as the ten. It's it's not going to be as the seven. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and that's, you know, I thought, I thought the victory could probably put them in their white jerseys as a seven seed, um, which, you know, I mean, now, you know, I guess if you're, if you're, if you're really getting deep into the weeds on it, uh, you know, 15 seeds have been less successful against twos in the last couple NCAA tournaments than 16s against one twos are eight. No. And what ones are seven and one. So, you know, you never know for that second round game, I guess. But historically, 15s occasionally beat twos. You know, Florida's played a 15 seed in the second round before as a seven, um, for example. Uh, not that not that long ago, only only seven or eight years ago, the Gators got Norfolk State, and and that was crazy because Norfolk State upset Missouri right before Missouri went to the SEC. So I think it would have been like 20 the 2012 NCAA tournament because Missouri switched the next fall and that Missouri team was awesome. And Norfolk state just like went, you know, 15 for 20 from three and, uh, and, and beats them. And I'm pretty sure that Norfolk state partied for two days, Eric, as they should, when they played the Gators, they had nothing in the tank. (laughs) Like, like they, the game, it was like 30 to eight. By like the second media timeout, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, you just never know. Is the point? And and the eight nine games are historically like really brutal. They're almost like just extensions of conference play. They're two flawed teams just banging each other. And then you know everybody knows what's on the other side of that. So, uh, I, I really did feel like it was a seed line type game, um, especially with one win in the SEC tournament. I felt like at twenty one wins. Uh, Florida would almost certainly be on the seven line, if not, if not, maybe even a little better. Yeah, I think uh, so. Again, just like according to to bracket matrix, uh, some of the team like so right now their eight seeds are. Uh, well, actually, one of these is going to really crack you up. 
Uh, one of them is Arizona. Uh, that's a pretty, you know, frisky team. St. Mary's, uh, LSU, uh, and then the fourteenth <laughs> seed is Providence, who uh, when yeah. played them was was terrible, but uh, uh, has since like absolutely just like turned on the burners and played really well. So I mean. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to see Arizona. I, I mean, I know that Florida handled LSU. I, I still would be scared to play them again. Uh, St. Mary's, I, I would actually, I would actually really like that matchup. I, that's not me just trying to pick on, uh, pick on a mid-major. But, uh, but St. Mary's plays, uh, plays the pack line. They really kind of let the teams move the ball around against them, and, and that's the teams that Florida's had success against. Uh, which actually Arizona is the same way. They play pack line too. So. Uh, maybe that, maybe I don't dislike that matchup as much as I <laughs> mentioned, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, but it's just kind of interesting to, uh, to see what, uh, what some of those teams, uh, might be like if Florida were to, were to get the eight, nine, uh, this is actually pretty crazy, but like, would you rather like, honestly, would you rather have Florida, uh, win on Thursday, uh, lose on Friday? Or I mean, they might even win, you know, depending on who they would play the Friday, they could even maybe win Thursday and Friday, lose Saturday and still end up as an eight seed and play the eight, nine game. Would you rather drop to a 10 seed? Like, would you rather like win on Thursday? Like, would you rather be in that seven, 10 game? Essentially I'm saying versus play the eight, nine because of the second round. Uh, do you care? Uh, what is your thought there? My thought on all this is I is, is contingent on the black shear situation, but you know, you know, I wanted to win the sec tournament because I felt like there was no reason that Florida couldn't do that. And, and I'll be honest. I don't trust this team's consistency enough over a week and a half to think that they can win more than man. Like I still think maybe they can get to the sweet 16, depending on it's all just depends on how the draw breaks out. But like, to me, I almost feel like a second round is kind of where this team's going to go. Cause you just can't trust them for four straight halves, Eric. And I hate to say that, but you know, I think part of the, the point of Florida basketball hour is to just honestly assess what we think. Whereas if Kerry were healthy and Florida had been the two seed, I would have liked Florida's chance to win three games like on one weekend, just cause they're weird and, and like they could get to where they're feeling it. And all of a sudden, Oh, look how confident they are. And you know, yeah, we'd probably have to hold off somebody from making a 20 point rally in the championship game to win. Right. <laughs> but but yeah, so that's, that doesn't really answer your question. Um, but I think my, but it should sort of, cause my answer is I just want to win as many games as it can. Like I, I want the team to get confident. Yeah. That's uh, like, obviously in a vacuum, I, I'd honestly, especially like in most seasons say, like I'd honestly rather be in the seven ten game versus the eight, nine. Uh, but I mean, this year you, you factor in that just the top of college basketball is not as strong as it usually is. And there, therefore the difference between a one and a two seed isn't as strong. And it's just kind of like not a ton of teams that like really, really scare you up there. Uh, and I do think that just like playing well is going to be the most important. So like as much as maybe being in the seven ten game gives you a chance to avoid like, uh, the one, I mean, if, if Florida were to, were to lose in their their first outing on Thursday or even like scrape by on Thursday and then lose Friday like that would be a pretty uh, that'd be backpedaling into into the the big dance and I don't think we want that so uh yeah I, I do just want Florida to to definitely just like pl- play well and and win as much as they can even if like uh, even if the difference is between them being 
the nine seed and moving up to a two. I just think that, yeah, uh, them playing good and, and being in a good headspace going into next week, that'll be it. That'll be big. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think that's important. Now, this is what I want to ask you. I, I think without Kerry Blackshear, it's very likely that they lose Thursday anyway because they're going to play Ole Miss, I think. And I, I just don't like that matchup for Florida. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be Ole Miss. Like, I just – I think Ole Miss is just really good. So I know obviously <laughs> we saw we saw that when uh, yeah when they played. Uh, but uh, they can I mean, be really see. good. They can be really good, right? right? And uh, well, I mean, one thing that's interesting, like Ken Palm has it uh, one point win for for Ole Miss, so on a neutral floor, that's uh, uh, that's pretty interesting. But uh, yeah, and I mean, I, I I see the matchup, and at least that's one where uh, there's not like like there's a lot of you know teams like. You know, if Florida goes and sees Mississippi State. I mean, not having Kerry Blackshear in there to uh, to play with some of the big boys. Like, I mean, that would really hurt. Uh, Ole Miss doesn't quite have that kind of prototypical guy, uh, but I still think like you know, Bree and Tyree's the best player on the floor in that game. Uh, and yeah. you just need to get some kind of advantage somewhere else. And the center position would be one that that Florida could get some scoring and, and advantage if he plays. And yeah, without him, I just uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't like that matchup for Florida. So. Uh, yeah, it could be it, it could be a tough one for sure. But I, I mean, definitely in my mind, that's uh, that's who I'm expecting Florida to play. That's for sure. Yeah, and I mean, look, uh, Ole Miss, you know, kind of bad luck to have the seed that they have. To be honest, I mean, other than the Mississippi State game Saturday, where they really just laid an egg in Starkville, um, and I guess they took a really bad loss at Alabama, or or no, it was at home. Yeah, it was, yeah, at home yeah. to Alabama. <laughs> home to Alabama. That was weird. That was a weird game. Yeah, but I mean, for the most part, they've been really competitive throughout the season, and and you know, for whatever reason, they've come up kind of on the short end of things. Usually because they don't defend quite well enough. But but Florida's a lot easier and a lot different to defend when there's no Kerry Blackshear um, to to account for. And and again, I mean, that's because that's one of these things that's that's cropped up. I think from from. Twitter fans is this idea that Blackshear is disappointed. And while, you know, look, I'm not, Eric, I'm not going to fault anybody for, for making a factual argument that he hasn't lived up to the all American hype, but he certainly changes Florida's offense in a positive way. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm someone who's obviously been pretty critical of his defense, uh, right. even been critical of his offense at times and some of his shot selection and, uh, some of that's just the way he's been used, but I mean, uh, make no mistake about it. Like Florida is a better team with him, uh, with him on the floor. Uh, they're definitely a better team when when he's uh, kind of one of the key pieces of the offense. And uh, yeah, as much as uh, uh, as much as I do think he does hurt the defense, I just don't know if the other pieces around him are uh, are good. Like I like without Blackshear, it's not like okay, at least Florida can now you know really clamp down on defense and. And win a game fifty-eight to fifty-five. I I still don't think the rest of the pieces around Florida are are good enough defensively to kind of win that way. Uh, so they still need to uh, to win these games in the uh, you know the low seventies something like that with their offense. And uh, yeah, I just yeah, will they be able to do it without Blackshear? It's it's going to be tough. But uh, I, I I'm really interested to see who would start if Blackshear didn't play. Uh, how those minutes would break down. Um, uh, I mean, I guess Neil, do you want to play doctor? Do you want to do you want to predict whether he plays Thursday? What are your What are your thoughts? I don't know. I mean, I, that's a tough injury to play with if you're yeah. big, because you have to use both hands a lot. And 
my guess is that he won't play and that if Florida can somehow like my thought, Eric, is if Florida can somehow get to the weekend, that maybe he could go. Um, or or would certainly try. Um, but yeah, I mean, if Florida's gonna play like the Magnolia State for two days, like those aren't the best matchups without Kerry Blackshear, to be honest. Right. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I mean again, like I I'm no doctor, but I mean I look at uh uh, well, one website I really like is called In Street Clothes. Uh, it, oh, like yeah. it tracks NBA injuries, so you can go see like, hey, like a player has a sprained MCL. This is how all players have, uh, how long it's taken for players to return, how productive they've been when they return. It's very, very interesting. Uh, so, anyways, I just went there and looked sprained wrist, and I know like no two injuries are the same, uh, but that is not an injury that players come back from very quickly. Uh, uh, especially big men. And I mean, it's just really tough to, uh, to rest a wrist. It's, it's really tough to play on it when it's, uh, uh, that, that's something it's, it's really tough to, to battle through. Uh, yeah, I just, it, it just, when I heard it was a sprain, I just kind of like mentally was like, Oh man, I, I don't think he's playing in the SEC tournaments. And, but that's just based exclusively off, you know, a little bit of anecdotal seeing, uh, wrist injuries, also looking at in street clothes, looking at some of their data. Uh, yeah, I just uh, wrist injuries suck, and they just like they're they're just like they take a ton of rest. Like it's not even like a like an ankle or something that a couple of like especially with wrist injuries that you've seen. Like if if Blackshear's not good on Thursday, I, I don't really think he's going to be good on Friday. Like it's not the kind of injury that I think an extra twenty four hours is really going to help. And therefore, like if he's in a position to like tough it out, and hey, maybe they they do get you know deeper in the weekend, like you were saying, maybe he does like take some painkillers, tape it up real good and, and give it a go. But I, I kind of feel like it might be one of those injuries that like, Hey, if he's not good Thursday, like I don't think he's good for, for Friday or, or, or Saturday, but you know, maybe he's, he's good for, for Thursday next week. That, that would might be the hope. So I've kind of mentally just kind of prepared myself for him not playing. And then, yeah. think, Hey, maybe he'll be uh, pleasantly surprised. That's kind of where I'm at. It's that I think they're going to Nashville and, and he'll be there. I'm sure, but there's not, um, you know, I don't think he's going to play. Uh, another reason I think that's bad, and I know people are going to think this is weird because we've spent a lot of time talking about his defense, and I know you have, but but so Ole Miss ranks 28th in Division One according to Hooplins, which is a site I use, in, uh, in pick-and-roll offensive scoring percentage. So hmm. what does that mean? That means that if Omar Payne is your answer for Blackshear, then you have Florida's worst pick and roll big defensively playing a team that's in the top 5% of the country in pick and roll offensive efficiency. That's just a problem, Eric. Yeah, that's, yeah, that is a tough matchup for man. Like bringing Tyree so good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I was like, I'm going to go on the pod and predict that Florida's one and done in Nashville, and people are going to be like, "Fire Mike White!" Like, I get it. Like, get you guys are mad, but um, yeah, I don't. I actually don't think it affects their NCAA tournament at all. I think they'll still get in. I still think they'll get a bye if that happens. Um, but it, it, you know, it certainly would be uh, depressing. Yeah, and just especially factoring in that Florida just historically, well, not historically, recent history uh, under White just has not been good in SEC tournaments. And, uh, right. so uh, you know, I feel year. for, you know, there's a there's a group of guys from Gator country that have been to the SEC tournament every year for like a decade and change. I, I forget how long, but it's like they're at every SEC tournament. And I mean, I really feel for the guys who um, over the last few years have 
um, had to go and, and figure out tickets and then figure out how to sell them after the opening night. Like I just, yeah, I do. I do. Cause I, I feel bad for those guys. So, uh, yeah, they're, but uh, yeah, it's just, <laughs> I just wonder if it's going to be another one of those for them. And, and this is definitely one that's, uh, uh, obviously Kerry Blackshear playing a huge role if he were to not play. Uh, but yeah, just, uh, I think that it would be more depressing just given the fact that, uh, that has been one of the narratives around this team is that they, they haven't been good on, uh, uh, on neutral floors at the SEC tournaments. It would be great to turn that around. Uh, it would be kind of like comical and hilarious if this was the year that they like went on a run in the SEC tournaments and uh, found a way to go compete for the title. And uh, But yeah, it's it's uh, you, you see the team, like like even I see, you know, Mississippi State coming up, which we didn't even discuss yet. Like that's a matchup I just really don't like. Like I'd rather yeah, play yeah. some of the, uh, I, I'd rather play like, you know, I I didn't think about that too much, but I mean, there's definitely some of the top four teams I'd rather see than Mississippi state. Uh, who's just so big and so physical and uh, their guards just gave Florida so much trouble. So uh, even if uh, Florida were to, uh, to maybe get a win Thursday, it's just, uh, it's going to be a tough one moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's a tough draw. Um, certainly the two, the two seed would have been a lot better play till Friday night goes without saying, uh, would have had that on the on a silver platter and coughed it up, and you know they got nobody to blame for themselves. And I do feel bad for for the fans making the trip to Nashville because that's not what you signed up for this year. And I bet when a lot of the people bought those tickets, they thought, "Oh, we're going to go see the Gators, and worst case scenario, they're going to play Kentucky for the title on Sunday, you know, or or play an epic semifinal against somebody on Saturday." And I think after the run that they made last year, like people got that taste in their mouth again. Like it was fun to be in the SEC tournament semifinal, even if, you know, Andrew Nimbar didn't get to shoot the free throws like he should have. Right. Um, that was, that was a fun, it was a fun couple of days. And so, uh, you know, I think, yeah, it's just a bummer. It's a bummer. Doesn't mean that, uh, you know, doesn't, you know, we shouldn't be so fatalistic. I mean, I guess it's possible that, you know, Florida got Ole Miss's best shot in Oxford and the Rebels won't play very well. And, you know, who knows? Miss State's been kind of up and down the last month of the season. Uh, but then again, you know, I don't know. You're, you're talking about dealing with Reggie Perry without Kerry Blackshear. It's kind of a, a tall order, I think. Yeah, and I mean, Mississippi State has turned it on a little bit, and they have some, uh, they're one of those, like, not really on the bubble teams, but if they were to go deep in the SEC tournaments and, you know, go play in the finals, like, yeah, they'd have a, you know, if they lost to the finals, they'd be definitely in the bubble conversation, depending on how things break. So, uh, right. yeah, that could be, uh, yeah, that could, like, they're playing for a lot versus, you know, a lot of these teams in the SEC tournament, whether it's, like, safely in or uh, seed in the NCAA tournament is, like, mostly locked in or, uh just totally out of it there's you know it's usually not a ton of teams playing with like a ton of motivation i'd say mississippi state's probably as motivated as any team in the sec tournament if i had to I had to guess just because there's not really like you know you look at like i don't really think anyone else is like really on the bubble if, if, if that makes sense like yeah i don't see another team that like desperately desperately needs a win or two uh mississippi state would need would need a couple there but uh yeah, uh, yeah. That's just yeah. Just again, uh, you add that in, add in the matchups that are tough, and it's just you know it could be a tough one for Florida. Uh, but uh, one thing, if, if Kerry Blackshear didn't play, and we got a little uh, uh, little next year preview for the starting center spot, 
uh, I'll ask you this: Who do you think is uh, who do you think Florida would start at center, and uh, or you could say who do you think is going to get more of the minutes? However, you want to interpret the question, and uh, uh, yeah, just uh, knowing that those that might be the the starting center situation next year. Uh, what do you uh, what would you like to see out of those guys who uh, are going to get a bigger role than normal? Well, I'd kind of like to win the Ole Miss game just to see how it works against somebody like Miss State. Because I, I think Omar Payne is the starter. But, like, if you play Mississippi State, you know, you better dial it in and have, you know, a healthy dose of Jason Jatobo, somebody that can bang with Abdul Addo and, and somebody, you know, that they're not going to try to, you know, Jason Jatobo chase Reggie Perry around. That'll be the same. That was one because we were talking about defensive adjustments. Like I wasn't mad at how Florida defended Reggie Perry at all in Gainesville. Were you? I thought I just thought no. he, I just thought he made shots that day. No, I had no problem with that for sure. Yeah, right. But like that's, that's what you want to do, and, and Florida would do the same thing. Just they wouldn't have Blackshear this time. Yeah, so that that will be interesting because I mean, like it wouldn't sh- it really wouldn't shock me if Florida started any of their their three guys remaining. I mean, uh, Dante Bassett, obviously someone who. Uh, uh, has been I, like I mean I, w- I would say probably the even when healthy the third out of those three but it's a little bit tough to say like when he was actually healthy or not really even though he was dressed but uh, uh, yeah but I mean Jatobo obviously getting more and more minutes as of late uh, uh, Omar Payne has the most starts out of those guys at least this season so uh, it could be anyone so I, I, I would be interested to see but uh, it also might be uh, whether you know between Jatobo and uh, and Payne just kind of interesting to see who uh uh, who coach kind of trusts a little bit more. And uh, something that's uh, really interesting in terms of the on-off numbers for uh, for the game against Kentucky. Uh, so everyone for Florida's, like, defensive numbers were, like, quite poor. Like, every person on the floor had, like, a 1.12 points per possession defensively or worse. Ooh. Except for Jason Jatobo, who gave up only 0.5 points per possession yeah. in the 10 defensive possessions he played. Big so that's, fella. like... So that's something like, like, I know that I probably cite these on off numbers, like more than I should and probably care about them too much. But I will say like lit when literally everyone on the court, everyone who played was at uh, a point per possession or more defensively went on the floor, except for Jatobo, who was at 0.5. <laughs> like, that's really interesting. Like that's where, that's yeah. where the on off stuff is really interesting is when you see an outlier. Uh, and Jatobo was a major outlier in that Kentucky game. Um, I probably should have mentioned that earlier, but because uh, I definitely wanted to bring it up because it's uh, uh, it's it's worth noting that like so one thing like one thing that was really interesting when I did my my pick and roll article, uh, pick and roll defense, uh, and and pointed out that Jatobo was uh, you know actually had really good defensive numbers when guarding pick and rolls. Uh, one thing that was interesting was even though he guarded pick and rolls well, still his defensive numbers were not good. Like he was guarding pick and rolls well, but like his overarching. Uh, every other defensive number was just not good. They were still giving up points. It just wasn't in the pick and roll. Uh, so it was really interesting just to see against Kentucky. He had, uh, it was only 10 possessions defensively, uh, but hey, they went really well with him on the floor. And that might be something worth noting if it is a situation where, where Blackshear doesn't play and we get to see uh, more possessions of all the backup guys. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if uh, the defense kind of uh, stays good when Jatobo's on the floor. Yeah, that is interesting. Another interesting thing I think is that Jatobo did not play against Miss State in the first meeting. Played zero minutes. So uh, that was a game that Omar Payne got 24 minutes in and and really wasn't very effective. Uh, two points, one rebound. But was still out there for 24 minutes doing something. Uh, had a couple blocks. 
Mm. Uh, but yeah, so that was that was interesting because that was a game where Florida, a couple guys that have played a lot more of late, Trey Mann um, and Jatobo played. Oh, Jatobo didn't play. Mann only played twelve minutes because that was back when Quest Glover was getting more minutes than Trey Mann. So, uh, you know, a little bit different a look for the Gators, I guess, as well. Um, but, you know, obviously Florida will first have to, to deal with Mississippi, who has seen uh, Jason Jatobo a little bit. Uh, Jatobo played eight minutes against the Rebels in the debacle in Oxford. Uh, that was a game where really the only Gator that showed up was Kerry Blackshear. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just fine. And Keontae Johnson. I, that's, I don't want to be mean to first team all SEC. Keontae Johnson. Right. Yeah. Uh it, but, it's just like funny because it is like I just just the way that we're talking about a crisis because I, I just definitely feel like it's old miss, but like it's just funny because again, yeah, Ken Paul has it as like uh old miss is only favored by one. Yeah, uh, like but, uh, words could go nuts and it could be Georgia, I guess. Yeah, but I, I, I'm with you. I, I do think it's it's uh, it's going to be all miss. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how we'll see if Anthony Edwards is is checked in or checked out. I mean, some of these one and done guys in these last few years that have been in this scenario, they're uh, by this point of the year, they're not looking to uh, shoulder their team for four straight games and and make it into the uh, NCAA tournament. Um, you've got to think too. I mean, like with all due respect, I mean, I think when when Anthony Edwards commits to Georgia. Uh, playing in the NCAA tournament isn't high in his priority. Like, not trying to be rude, I, I just think that uh, this isn't something that he is you know, pro- that he was probably totally determined to get to. Uh, so yeah, that it'll be an interesting one to watch for sure. And maybe we'll just have to totally circle back on a bunch of the stuff we said. But uh, uh, yeah, and it's worth noting, you know, Ole Miss won by ten in their meeting earlier in the season. Yeah, but, uh, that was a little, you know, that was a Athens. while ago. So oh, that's good to good to point out. So. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think everyone should be definitely dialed into that game and uh, just uh, watching to see uh, see who Florida will play. There it is. Um, so I think I don't know. I mean, it, 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 this is it's kind of a frustrating show. We should close on a high note. Uh, three Gators named all SEC teams. Uh, Keontae, really no surprise to me that Keontae Johnson's first team All SEC. He was on my first team All SEC ballot. Kerry Blackshear, second team All SEC. He was on my, I should say. Uh, Florida basketball hour, second team, all SEC ballot. Uh, and then Scotty Lewis, to the all freshman team. Scotty Lewis was not on my all freshman team ballot. Um, mm. but congrats to Scotty for, for getting in there. Um, I think that's terrific for him. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, uh, Florida seems to have these last few seasons not gotten any respect on the, uh, the all defensive team. Uh, as you know, we think that uh, you know Kavaris Hayes definitely did not get the the respect he deserved when yeah, it came to the defensive boards. Uh, I'm not I'm not suggesting that Florida should have anyone on the defensive team, but out of curiosity, Neil, if you had to say who is Florida's defensive MVP or uh, defensive player of the year up to this point, uh, who would you say? I well, I I gave away my answer on Twitter. I I oh. would say I would say it was Andrew Nimhart. Oh, I totally missed that on Twitter. That was uh, that would I, I'm sure that got a great response actually. That would, oh my god! <laughs> just say people uh, went people went totally berserk on me as as usual about all the reasons that Andrew Nimard is not very good and not athletic. Yeah, I mean he might be my pick. I I, I really don't know who my pick would be, but it would probably be him or Keontae Johnson. Uh, and uh, yeah, that is it's interesting because I they definitely don't have that that anchor. Andrew last couple of years in in Hayes. Andrew's just so fundamentally sound and and under control 
And like, you know what? I, I mean, I can do, let me ask you what you think. Cause we're just kind of, you know, doing stuff here at the end of a show. Cause it's our podcast, but <laughs> should Andrew come back for his junior year? Um, you know what? I, I honestly would say no. Like I, I just okay. have to, I have to view this through a lens of like, if this was my friend, my son, my yeah, whatever, no, and that's how you should answer the question. Uh, I, I just think, like, like again, I think people people are always try to view this kind of through the lens of like, uh, would playing another year in college make this player better? And in Andrew's case, yeah, it, it probably would. But I don't think that's the right question to ask. I think you've just got to look at uh, uh, the general kind of strength of the draft class, or in this case, the lack thereof. Uh, and you look at the fact that there are teams that are that are going to be interested based on, you know, there's teams that were interested kind of uh, kind of last year. And I, I think you've got to say, like, hey, is, is Nemhard a, a year or two away from from being someone who could maybe get on an NBA bench? Uh, yeah, probably a year or two away, probably maybe two years away. Uh, but I do think that that means that those two years of development could very well take place in the G League where he could make money uh, or, you know, even in Europe. Uh, I, I just would have to say, like, if I. It, 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 I just like can't it, it would be a, I just have to be honest and say like if I were someone who was really close to Nemhart uh, and was trying to advise him on what I think would be the best for his career I, I would have to say going pro would be uh, would be in his best interest though I you know hope I'm wrong and I hope he sees things differently okay yeah what do you I, think well I mean I don't disagree with you at all he reminds me of Andre Miller a lot um you know, I don't remember Andre too much except towards the end of his career, but that's still nice to be able to be compared to like end of career Andre Miller. Uh, Andrew's really under control, plays at his own speed, really fundamentally sound, smart player. I think he's a leader. You know, I mean, if he likes college, great. You know, but otherwise, uh, you're right. I think he can do all the things he needs to do and improve and play the game importantly at a faster pace uh, in the, either the G league or, or in some places in Europe where he'll be challenged a little bit more as a, you know, forced to react a little differently than he is uh, even in high level collegiate basketball. The guy that I think would benefit, I think, well, I think Keontae and his family will make the right decision. Uh, you know, I, I do think Keontae could benefit from another year on campus um, because I think he's a guy who his stock is going to just keep increasing the more film that he puts out. Uh, and, you know, who knows, maybe he blows somebody away at a tryout or something and ends up on a roster or, you know, maybe he's in the G league learning a new system with a coach that, you know, doesn't really focus on what his attributes are, if that makes sense. Um, right. And so, like, for him, the type of player he is where he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades, like, playing in college where he's a focal point of a team is probably a really good thing for him. Whereas, like, Andrew as a point guard might get challenged by facing better players all the time, which he would professionally. If that, does that make sense? Yeah, and, and their cases are a little bit different just because I, I think when it comes to – a uh, player like Nemhart, there's something to be said about like, hey, if you stay in college too too long, sometimes you get, sometimes your flaws just get exposed too much. Like, uh, so that's kind of why I'd want him to go 
this year as well if I was advising him just because yeah. hey a team would, a, a team would be looking for you know his athleticism will be a problem well they saw that he's more athletic this year than he was as a freshman uh, so I think that there's still some intrigue to like hey he's still uh, he's still kind of on the upward trajectory but if he comes back to college in another year and it doesn't get better uh, that's suddenly a big kind of black mark against him. Right. Uh, same thing as his shooting. Like, I think I still think there's like a little bit of intrigue because he shot the ball well at times, shot the ball well playing for Canada in the summer. Uh, but if you know, if he comes back and he doesn't shoot the ball well, uh, that's going to be, that's going to be turned from like a question mark to just like, you know, an X. So, right. Uh, whereas Keontae Johnson, I just don't think he's going to get exposed. Like there's, there's just nothing about his game that, uh, that would be, you know, just exposed. Like he obviously has NBA athleticism. His style of play is perfect for the NBA. Uh, there's just, uh, there's nothing that if he comes back to college, like the only thing that could happen would be like, if he doesn't get any better, a team would say like, well, it looks like he doesn't have, you know, a high starter upside and he might be just a role player. Well, he could still be a role player in the NBA. So he's someone who I think, if he were to stay another year, his, there's just no way his stock could get worse. But the uh, the possibility that his stock goes up is uh, is definitely there. Yeah, no, I mean, I, that's kind of – I do think that their situations are a little bit different, which is why I kind of wanted to close talking on that. Uh, Florida to the SC tournament, 3.30 Thursday. Um, Eric and I will get together and try to figure out when we're going to podcast after uh, that. Hopefully we can put a bunch of shows together for you here as the Gators close out their season. Um, Thanks for listening, and we will be back this week.